Oh, Lord. Um, so let me just, quick kind of stepping back, looking at what we've, the Lord's just been taking us through, is just this knowing him, getting to know the Father. And actually, it, what you're going to hear today is getting to know Jesus, because it's all about Jesus. Uh, but in this, we've been in this uh, Proverbs 3, which is trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him, yada him, and he'll make your path straight. He'll cut your path. He'll direct your path. Like, these are, these are scriptures that are foundational for where we're going, and, and they should be foundational to us. Like, these are the scriptures we got to live by. These are the ones we just, we hold on to, uh, no matter what the situation is, no matter what's going on. The, the next one, um, Pastor Andrew was talking about a few weeks ago that unless the Lord builds the house, the, the builders labor in vain. And again, it's the same kind of theme here that it, he's the one that builds the house. If we try to do it in our own abilities, if we try to go out and do this stuff, if we're not abiding in the vine, if we're not coming to him, if we're not connected with him, trusting in him, not leaning on our own understanding, then we do it all in vain. And at the end of the day, it's, it's worthless. Everything is in him. It's through him. It's by him. And so there's this understanding that we have to have. Otherwise, it's just toil. It's just, we just go throughout our day, and it's like being on a hamster wheel, right? Uh, the next one is ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be open. This is Matthew 7, 7. This is another, I believe, critical one for us to just to hold on to in this season. And, and, and it's, that, it's that three part of asking with our mouth. This is the prayers that we have. It's the seeking that wholehearted devotion that we have to the Lord. That's the ongoing lifestyle that we live. And then there's the knock. It's faith without works is dead. There is an action part that we play in this. And when they're all combined, when you have the, the knock with the seek and with the ask, Watch out. Like there's, this is where, we're, where our eyes are on Jesus and we ask him and we say bring heaven to earth and this is where the, the heavens open and we begin to see God move in mighty ways. As we just, we, what it is, it's an, it's an alignment with his heart to do the things that he wants to do now. Uh, and the last one was uh, Marcus last week. Pastor Marcus did a phenomenal job of just of, of going through Matthew 11 and I want to encourage you on all these messages, go back. If you, haven't, if you haven't been here, if you haven't listened to these things, listen to them and get this, just, just soak in this so that you get this from here down to here. Because we want this to be a lifestyle of how we live. But um, the, the Matthew 11, and just at the end there, it says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, right? Come to me. And I will give you rest. It, he says, take my yoke, it's easy, and my burden is light. So these are the scriptures that we just, we need to hold on to. Uh, I had someone send this, uh, or give this to me the other day. He has, we were talking about the ask, the seek, and the knock. And I think, if you have that picture? Uh, I don't know if you'll be able to read it up here, but... Um, but he took a picture of a poem that he had in his house. And I just felt, I just thought I'd read it. It's... It ties exactly into what we've been speaking on. So it's called The Difference. There it is. So you can follow along. If you can't read it, I'll read it to you here. I got up early one morning and I rushed right into the day. I had so much to accomplish that I didn't have time to pray. Problems that tumbled about me and heavier... Whoops. <laughs> yeah, problems just tumbled about me and heavier came each task... Why doesn't God help me, I wondered. He answered, you didn't ask. 
I wanted to see joy and beauty, but the day toiled on gray and bleak. I wondered why God didn't show me. He said, but you didn't seek. I tried to come into God's presence. I used all my keys at the lock. God gently and lovingly chided my child. You didn't knock. I woke up early this morning and paused before entering the day. I had so much to accomplish that I had to take time to pray. Isn't that good? So let's pray. Lord, we just say, have your way in our hearts today. I ask that you would just minister to us, that we would experience you, your love, your understanding, your wisdom, and that we would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, who's the author and the finisher of everything, author and finisher of our faith, in Jesus' name. Oh, I, uh, I think I'm going to do the very fat, short version of this. So let me, you know, we've been in Proverbs 3, and it's that part about lean not on your own understanding. Don't be wise in your own eyes, right? There is this wisdom that comes from man that we have to be so conscious of and aware of that we do not go down that path. But it's, it's in all our ways that we acknowledge him, that we know him, that we trust in him. And so the, the wisdom that we're talking about here, in verse 12, if you go down in Proverbs 3.12, it says, blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding. And so it's not being wise in our own eyes, in our own understanding, but there is something about finding wisdom, finding that understanding. And, and then in a few verses down from that, in verse 19, Uh, It says this, it says, by wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundation and by understanding, he set the heavens in place. So here he's talking about the wisdom and the understanding. And the short of it is when you get to the new covenant, when you get to the new Testament, what we find out is that Jesus is wisdom. We I would say those of old have been looking for this wisdom, trying to search out what wisdom is. Here's the thing. It's Jesus. He actually is wisdom. In 1 Corinthians 1.24, it says, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So everything that we've been looking for, everything that, that everyone, the prophets have been looking for, the kings, they've been searching for this wisdom It's Jesus. And we're in this opportune time. We're in this time where we actually get to have Jesus. Those before before Jesus, before Jesus came on the earth, they missed out. And I'm just thankful that, that I was born and created in this time for such a time as this. And we should all be thankful for that. Uh it goes on to say in verse 30 of 1 Corinthians, it says, It is because of him, because of God that you are in Christ Jesus. It's only because of God. Here's the thing. God's the one that sent his son, and it says that Jesus did everything that the Father told him to do. He was obedient even unto death, death on a cross. And so it was because of God, it was because of our Father, his desire to actually have this relationship with us, that he sends his very best, he sends his son, Jesus, on the earth, and then he says, look to my son. He is wisdom. He is everything. And so 
what, what he's asking is, in the past we say, well, we, we, our hearts are set on the Father, our hearts are set on God. What Jesus says, he says, if you see me, you've seen the Father. And so for us, and I want us to understand this in a greater way, the importance of looking to Jesus, of worshiping Jesus. Because as we worship Jesus, we actually give the glory to Jesus. Jesus gives the glory to the Father, and we come into that oneness with the Father. But it's only through Jesus. There is no other way. So it's crazy. People are like, well, there's got to be other ways. Like, you guys, Christians are so narrow-minded, right? You hear that? Like, <laughs> Jesus is the only way. Jesus is the only way. And I know we know it up here. This message, I just feel like this is one of those, it's a reminder message, but it's something I think like we just have to get deeper and, and it becomes a lifestyle that we go, oh, our whole purpose is to worship Jesus. He's the way, right? This is John 14. He says this. He goes, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. So if he's the way, then what else would we do than follow him, follow his way? If he's the truth, then, then what else would we do but go after that truth, go after Jesus? And he's the life. In, in 1 Corinthians, it's at the end of uh, 1.30, it says this. Uh, it says that he is our righteousness, he's our holiness, and he's our redemption. What's cool is this ties into the way, the truth, and the life. When you look at it, that righteousness that's the truth. It's that right standing. It's, it's what is right versus what is wrong. It is truth. And so he is our righteousness. He's truth. He's holiness. Holiness is, that, is the way. That's the way. When he says that I am the way, it's holiness. He says, be holy as I am holy. And then the third part is that life. I'm the life. That's the redemption that we have through his blood, through the blood of Jesus. And so Everything, there's just, it's a refocus, a recentering to go, it's all about Jesus. I love what we were just singing up here. Just Jesus, 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 just over and over again. Because it is his name that's above every name. It's the name that we look to. It's the name that we worship. We worship Jesus. And let me say, I, we were, by the way, you're all welcome to come back into the prayer room. 8.15, 9.15, every Sunday morning we just pray and we... Uh, about where we're going with the service and what the Lord's doing. And, and then we take communion every, every time we're back there. And the Lord just said um, this morning as I was preparing, he goes, I don't want any communion elements. Never done this before. Uh, but what the Lord was showing me is sometimes we actually get the things confused with Jesus. We get the element of this piece of bread and this cup confused with Jesus. The bread and the cup are nothing. And you go, what do you mean? They're just, they're, it's just stuff. The only life is Jesus. When you take the communion, the whole point and what, what Jesus was trying to do and what Paul talked to in 1 Corinthians is he's using this bread and this cup to bring us back to Jesus, to say, focus on Jesus. What happens is sometimes we take these, these things and they become rituals in our lives. And we go, well, we got to have the grape juice and we got to have the certain kind of bread. And it really doesn't matter. 
You can take lemonade and Cheerios. It, it's, it doesn't matter. That's not the point. Uh, and, it's, and it's not holy. It's not sanctified. Sometimes, you know, in some churches I know it's like, well, this is holy bread and, or there's holy water. There's nothing holy except for Jesus. None of that stuff plays any part in it. Now, is it a great thing to do? Absolutely. I'm not discounting it because I, what it does is it, it just helps us to remember Jesus. But we have to be careful that it doesn't become almost like an idol. There's a, I was talking about it this morning as, as I was back there. And, um, there's this, there's this, about 38 years in with the Israelites, you've got, uh, you've got the Israelites about to cross the Jordan. And what happens is they, once again, you would thought they would have learned from the first group, but they start to grumble and complain again. And God's like, oh, guys, not this time. So he sends poisonous snakes to kill them. <laughs> you go, God would do that? Yep, God did it. He sent poisonous snakes, and when they grumbled, they got bit by these snakes and they died. And uh, so they go to Moses. They're like, Moses, you got to pray that, that these snakes get removed. So he, Moses prays to God, and God goes, nope, not removing the snakes. They're there. But what I will do is I, I'm going to tell you what to do here to, to, to solve your problem. He goes, you're going to create a pole, and you're going to put a bronze snake on it, and it's the curse. And, and what this is foreshadowing is Jesus on, on the cross. And, and they say, and look, as you look to this snake, as you look to this bronze snake, you will be healed. Now, the crazy part is, I was talking about this with Marcus. I'm like, they still got bit. They still continue to get bit by a poisonous snake. But what it did is instead of removing the snake and then they go, oh, we're fine. No, the, the snakes were still biting them. Now they had to trust in Jesus in a sense, right? Now they had to trust. Now they had to go and they had to look to this snake and that brought their healing. So what happens? So fast forward a number of years with Hezekiah. Hezekiah is actually the one that destroys this bronze snake. And, the, and why does he destroy it? Because it became an idol. They began to worship it. And, and he's like, no, don't worship that. Worship me. And so it's the same thing, I feel like, sometimes with even with the elements and with the things that we do. Uh, I'm not going to step on any toes right now, um, I don't think. Uh, but I'll just say there are things that we do in the church that become ritualistic that actually take our eyes off of Jesus. And what he's saying is don't let those things take precedence. Those are not the important things. Jesus is what's important. When you hear about people taking communion and they get healed and they go, oh, well, we got to take communion because there's healing in communion. There's not healing in communion. There's healing when people look to Jesus. There's a big difference. And so you can do it with communion and it's great because what it does is it gets you to focus your eyes hopefully on Jesus. And a lot of times people do get healed when they take communion. But it's not the communion. It's not the elements. It's not going through the ritual of it. And you go, well, why didn't it work for me? Get your eyes off of the stuff and get your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes on him. There's nothing greater. There's nothing more powerful. He is life. He is the way. He is the truth. He is redemption. He is our righteousness. He is our holiness. There is no other way.
I was thinking about this, and I'm like, why is it then? If he is, actually, let me read this verse. This is 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, it's Colossians 1, 25 through 27. And it says this. This is Paul saying this. He goes, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Here's the thing. We had the word of God before with the old covenant, but the word of God in its fullness, complete, is Jesus. This is the completion of the word of God. And so Paul understands this, and then he goes on to say, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known the Gentiles, the glorious riches of this mystery. Catch this. The glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is what it's all about. This is the fullness of the Word of God. The mystery that has been been held back for ages and for centuries now revealed to us. This is the wisdom from heaven actually on earth revealed to us. And now we have this Christ in us, the hope of glory. How is Christ in us? When Christ goes to the right hand of the Father, he releases and he says, I'm going I'm to send my com- the comforter. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be on the inside of us. We become a temple of the Holy Spirit. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. We have Christ on the inside of us. You go, yes. <laughs> this is good news, guys. This is the good news. This is, this is what it's all about. So here's the thing. So if, if we understand this, if we go, okay, he's the way, the truth, and the life, and, and he's the fullness of the word of God, why are we pursuing other things? Why are we pursuing things that are meaningless in life? And I'm preaching to myself here too. Because there's so many times I catch myself like trying to focus in on things that are meaningless. He says, seek first me. Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness and I'll give you everything else you need. Put me first. Come to me. Don't lean on your own understanding. And we go, oh yeah, I get it. And then we go off and what do we do? We lean on our own understanding. We start going off in our own ways. And we're like, Lord, why aren't you blessing this? Why aren't you helping me? And he's like, you're way over on left field here. I'm in center field. <laughs> There's two types of wisdom that are talked about in, in the Word of God. James addresses this in James 3. And he says this, he says, who is wise in understanding among you? Let him show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, which as believers, we can still harbor this bitter envy and this selfish ambition a lot of times we can catch ourselves being, trying to be ambitious in life, going after things. And he's like, don't do that. Here's why. <laughs> do not boast about it or deny its truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's actually demonic. 
For where you have envy, and the other word for envy is jealousy and selfish ambition, you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, it's first of all pure. It's then peace-loving. It's considerate. It's submissive. It's full of mercy. It's good fruit being released. It's impartial and it's sincere, which means it's true. And then it goes on to say, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So, the thing that we need to be aware of is that there are two types of wisdom. We can take on the worldly wisdom or we can take on the heavenly wisdom. The heavenly wisdom is Jesus. When we look to him, when he is the way for us, when he is the truth for us, and when he is the life, then all life is sustained through him. Then we actually come into that right place with him. But if we begin to walk in that other way, if we begin to walk in that other wisdom, if we begin to lean on our own understanding, we still have the grace of God, thank God. But we need to do it. Let me just say we need to make that shift. We need, we need to make that, that turn to say, okay, my life is going to be centered on him and nothing else. It's not Jesus and. It's not Jesus plus. Okay? And let me say this. I, this is what I feel too is a lot of times we're seeking the Lord. We're seeking him in our, let's say we've got something going on in our life. This is the same thing that you see with the Israelites. When they're going through tough times and when we're going through tough times, we will go after the Lord, right? We'll be like, God, help us. Come. And we, we start to seek him and then he answers. And as soon as he gives us the answer, a lot of times what happens is we just let up. And we go, oh, I'm good now. God, thanks. I'm going to put you back over there. I can start doing my own thing again. And he's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. You need to seek me in all your ways from day in to day out. Like there is no break that we're ever supposed to have from seeking him. A.W. Tozer, I've been quoting him a lot lately. Uh, He just has some great quotes. He says this, he goes, it is simply not enough to know about God. We must know God, and I'm going to replace that with Jesus. We must know Jesus in increasing levels of intimacy that lifts us up above all reason, which is that, that wise in our own eyes, right? Don't be wise in your own eyes. It lifts us up above all reason into the world of adoration and praise and worship. As we become intimate with Jesus, as we get to know him, it actually brings us up into a place of adoration and praise and worship to him. And he, gets, he begins to get the glory in our lives. And this is what it's all about, that he would be glorified in all that we do, that we no longer live for ourselves. It's no longer about us. It's all about him. I saw this, and I haven't seen this before, in John 17, 26, it says it as well. Jesus, when he's praying at the end of the prayer, he says this, I have made you known to them. He's talking to the Father, and he says, I have made you, Father. I've made you known to them, being the believers, the saints. And he goes, catch this part right here. I think there it is. And I will continue to make you known. I haven't seen it like this before, but what I realized, this is, this is that ongoing seeking him. That when we seek him with all our heart, we find him. And then we find him again. And then we find him again. 
We never fully find him. If you guys think that you found him, I hate to break your bubble, pop the bubble, whatever it is, you haven't found him. He has so many facets. He has so many dimensions that for eternity, we are going to be finding God. For eternity. If you, if you look at Revelation, you see this. You see the seraphs. You see they have all the eyes and they're in the throne room and they see God. And then you have the elders. And, and what happens is every time, every time the seraphs, every time they see a new facet of God, they go, holy, holy, holy. And then what happens is, is this, it's, it's a revelation to the, to the elders. And what do the elders do? They cast their crowns before the Lord. They go, oh, I never saw that before. You are worthy of it all. You are holy. And this goes on and on and on. And I can tell you, it will not be boring. You will say holy, holy, holy for eternity. And it will not be boring. I promise you. There's a type and shadow that we see in the Old Covenant under the Old Testament. But we see the reality of it now with Jesus. We see everything come into the fullness with Jesus. Oh, Lord, how do I do this? <sighs> okay, I'm going to give you just a quick rundown. I, this is what I'm going to ask you to do because I don't have the time to go through this in detail. I want you to go back through Hebrews and, and I want you to, let me just listen to this. This is Paul, William Paul Young. He wrote The Shack. I haven't actually seen the movie, but I've heard it's good. Uh, but this is what he says about the book of Hebrews. And man, I think he nails it. He goes, the letter to the Hebrews could have had this tagline. The letter to overly religious Christians who have an itty-bitty Jesus. He goes on to say this. This is the revelation of Jesus for religious people. Every page of this letter could be headlined by this question. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Another way to say it is no way. Like, there's no way. Actually, I had uh, one of our board members, Josh, he was, he was telling me, every time someone says no way, he goes, Yahweh. <laughs> so whenever you hear no way, you go, Yahweh. <laughs> Uh, but here he says, are you kidding me? He says, the book of Hebrews is all about Jesus, not about angels or sacrifices or temples or cities or religious observations or political powers or religious magic or economic security or religious institutions. And this is not the itty bitty Jesus that I grew up with, but the creator of the entire cosmos, the reality that was created in him and is held together, sustained and continues in him. He is the Father's Son, the, anointed, the one anointed in the Holy Spirit, and the one who has removed everything that has kept us from a face-to-face -face relationship with God. That's what Hebrews is all about. So maybe that'll encourage you to read Hebrews. Let me just hit on just a few quick points, though. Uh, when you get to Hebrews 8, the first part, this is kind of like, 
I feel like one of the climaxes of Hebrews. There's eight and then there's 12. Um, and there's, these are the two points where you see that Jesus is the high king and he's the high priest. It says, now this is the crown. I'm reading this in the Passion Version. He says, now this is the crowning point of what we are saying. We have a magnificent king priest who ministers for us at the right hand of God. He is enthroned with honor next to the throne of the majesty on high. This is Jesus as high king. Right after that, it says he serves in the holy sanctuary as the true, in the true heavenly tabernacle set up by God and not by man. Jesus actually serves in the heavenly tabernacle. Let me fast forward. Um, you're, you're getting the... the, the uh, what do, you, what do you call it? The cliff, cliff notes. Yeah, Reader's Digest. Uh, but in, uh, in chapter 10, it says this. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire. And actually, this is a quote from Isaiah. Um, is it Isaiah? I'm sorry, Jeremiah 31. Um, so he's saying this, he's saying, look, these, these sacrifices and these offerings, these things of the old covenant that uh, sometimes, and, I, and I, let me just say this as a side note, don't get caught up studying that stuff. Don't get caught up in, in, this, in the things of old. We, we look at the Old Testament and we study the Old Testament because it actually reveals who Jesus is. It reveals aspects of Jesus. And when we see it in the new covenant, we see it in the old covenant, we go, oh, and it ties together. It's all connected as one. But don't get caught up in the rituals and the, and the, the things that were, uh, were done in the Old Testament and try to go back into that stuff. That is not for today. It is all about Jesus. That is the shift that has been made. In, in, at the beginning of chapter 9, it says, now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary, which means that now, under this new covenant, there's a heavenly sanctuary, and we don't have the regulations for worship. It says those that, that worship, they worship in spirit and in truth. It's, it's, we, have, we have an open door to come into the throne room, the heavenly throne room, the holy of holies, we actually get to enter into. We go, well, how do we do that? We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Spirit of God, and it says, enter boldly into the throne room of grace. We get to actually come into that place. But let me back up. It says, sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire. He never desired this, nor were you pleased with them. (laughs) So why did they do it? Although the law required them uh, for it to uh, to be made. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. This is Jesus. He's like, I have come to do your will. And he set aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, and when he says will, it's by that obedience. He says, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. We are now made holy through Christ. This is why God says, look to my son, because there's no other way. This is it. This is the crux of everything. And then here's the cool part. So there's this, he goes in, and in chapter 11, it's this whole thing on, on faith, right? If you know, uh, this is where you hear of all the greats uh, and all the things that they, that they, they held on to. 
in, in verse 6, it says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So then fast forward all the way to the end of 11 and it says, these were all commended for their faith. All these people were commended for their faith. Now here's the deal. Faith now is in Jesus. When they had faith, they didn't have faith. They didn't have Jesus. They didn't have this revelation. And so it says that they were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. None of them. Why? Because we didn't have Jesus says God had planned something better for us so that only together we, with us, would they be made perfect. So now it's together through Christ that we are made perfect. And then this is, the, this is kind of the, the summary of it all. He goes, now therefore, since we're surrounded by such a cloud of, a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race that is set before us. And then he says, and let, our, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. This is what it comes down to, guys. We fix our eyes on him. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. Backing up in, in the end of chapter 10, he says, so don't throw away your confidence. Don't throw away this confidence. Don't throw away this faith. He says, it will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what has been promised. Let me say uh, in closing here, and if I could bring up uh, David Cooper, and he's going to share something with you as we close. Uh, But here's the thing. There is a perseverance that we have to step into at times. Uh, A lot of times we think that, that life is supposed to be easy when we follow after the Lord. Let me say, it's not. <laughs> from the beginning of time, from the very beginning of this book, all the way to the end with Jesus, even with Jesus, he, has to, he had to go through 40 days of temptations before, uh, before he actually went in to his ministry. So there was a testing of his faith. And there is, there is many times a testing of our faith. And so just when we, when we say, well, I'm going to focus my eyes on Jesus, I want you to know that it doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but you continue to focus your, your eyes on Jesus because he's the author and he's the perfecter and he is faithful, but not necessarily in our time and in the way that we actually think it needs to happen. Let me say that most of the time it doesn't actually happen the way we think it's going to happen. When you look at that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, I'm sure, didn't think that they were going to have to go into the furnace. But they had to go into the furnace. Because, but they walked in obedience to the Lord and they trusted in him no matter what. When, when Daniel was with, with Darius and he didn't bow down to Darius, King Darius, he still had to go into the lion's den. They still threw him in. He didn't get, he didn't get like taken out and never had to go in there. He had to go in with the lions. But God was there. Time and time again, when Moses faced the, you know, he had the Israelites and, and he's facing Pharaoh's army on one side and, and he's got the, 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 uh, the Red Sea on the other side, he didn't know how he was going to get through. But then the Lord shows him. He raises it up 
and he splits the sea. I'm like, I don't think that was in his plan when he was walking towards the Red Sea that, okay, once I get there, the Red Sea is going to split and we're going to walk through it and it's going to close up and all the, all the Egyptians are going to be taken out. That wasn't, wasn't Moses' plan, but that was God's plan. But he had to get to that point. He had to get there and then they're like, now what do we do? Now we're all going to die, right? And I believe sometimes in our own lives, there's a testing of our faith. James talks about this. He goes, count it all joy when you face the trials of many kinds because the testing of your faith develops the perseverance. The Lord requires perseverance. He asks for perseverance. And so if, if we think that we're just going to walk right through it and we're going to walk right out of it, that he's going to deliver us, that may happen and it may not. But here's the thing. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Amen. Coop, where's the, oh, so this is David Cooper, can you guys give him a big hand? And I just, as we, as we close here, I just want him to take a few minutes here and share this amazing testimony of God's goodness, but here's the thing, it wasn't all just easy all the way through, Right? There is a testing of our faith and there's a perseverance that we have to walk through, but we keep our eyes set on Jesus. Take it. So a few minutes left and he gives the microphone to a spirit-filled school administrator. Y'all better just change your lunch plans right now. <laughs> By the way, David Cooper, just, I don't know if I, did I say, you're the head of schools for, uh, for Front Range Christian School, so uh, up, in, up in Denver. Amazing yeah. school, spirit-filled this guy, we have, we have our older two children up there with him, and uh, I'm like, we couldn't be at a better place um, as, uh, as this guy's leading the charge there, so. Okay, I'm already going to take the liberty. Joe and I was going to say this to you on Monday, but the Lord wants you to know this. Father God sees you and is pleased. Hear that again. Father God sees you and is pleased, and you are equipped and ready for that which he's calling you to. He sees the courage with which you pursue him, and he says, now, step out into it, and you know exactly what it is. I have no idea, but he's saying, it's now, step into it. That courage that you are willing to show here in worship, he's saying, step out into that, which I'm calling you to now, in Jesus' name. All right, so I am the head of school at Front Range Christian School in Littleton, and I've been on an amazing journey for going into my eighth year. I spent, uh, it's my 35th year in education. I had the joy of about 10 years or so leading two of the most high-powered affluent Christian schools in the nation. One in California and, and another here. And it was an incredible time to be in a place where you had all the resources you need. And as I was uh, the last couple years, I, I, I was led by the Lord into the book of Nehemiah. And I was spending time going through the book of Nehemiah, and I, and I thought it was all about leadership, right? It's a great book on that, and there's books written about that book on leadership. And it was partway through that time that I heard the Lord say, I'm preparing you to lead a broken people in a broken city. And I looked around, and I said, Lord, you are calling the wrong guy, because this place isn't broken. There isn't need. It was a year and a half later that I found myself as the head of school of Front Range Christian School. 
And as I can tell you this personally, when I started that job, I had never been in a more disqualified place in my own heart. I was questioning my ability even to lead again, whether I was the right person to do it. But I started walking that place, that school, much like Nehemiah did when he entered Jerusalem. He walked the land and he just took it in. He didn't even tell people what he was doing. And I can tell you as I walked it and I interact, there were several things that came out. Once I, I actually said to others is that we have the smell of death on us. As I walked by classrooms that were meant for teaching, they were filled with junk and windows were covered. I interacted with teachers and they were weary and broken. They had labored long and unfruitfully at many times. I interacted with a parent group that was distrustful and uncertain. They were to a person without hope. And so I started walking and saying, Lord, I want to see your vision for this place. Because we are to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Because if you read to the end of that passage, he's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. He's at the right hand of the throne of God interceding for us. Why would we look anywhere else? Why would my eyes, my gaze, my heart, my desire go anywhere else other than on my Savior who sits at the right hand of the throne of God? To look anywhere else is sheer foolishness. And I started walking the halls of my school and I asked the Lord for vision. And it wasn't just, I didn't want vision for just educational philosophy, instructional practices, but I'm telling you, those things came too. I have a lot of those from 35 years, but you know what, during that time was birthed the ten virtues of a Christian scholar upon which we build our curriculum. Also came from that was our method of teaching, it's a design of academic, uh, academic dialogue that you're not going to see other places. Those aren't, that's not me, that's God downloading vision as I walked. But as I walked, I would turn a corner and I would see a vision of this place. It would be floor plans, it would be ideas that would be revealed to me and I would go back to my office and I would sketch things out using my high school drafting class skills. And I would tuck them away. Now God in his mercy, he allowed some of those things to come to fruition right away. Others, he said, not yet. Not yet. I held on to them for seven years. Seven years and they've grown and there's still more. And I'm telling you right now, I'm still eager to hear what the next thing is. But during those seven years, it wasn't all fun and games. We were not affluent. There were times we were, it was May, and I was praying to the Lord for provision. How are you going to do it this time, God? There were times where I received opposition from my own board. Members that were calling me out because I'd been there a few years and they wanted to see public progress. And what I really wanted was his vision. Show me that, Lord. So this past September, the Lord said, go. 
And so I was going to roll it out, this vision for my school, and I called it the Nehemiah Project. And it's a combination of things that have already happened and programs and ideas and a lot of building. And I went to some of my friends that are also heads of schools and I asked for their counsel, what would you do? And every one of them said, well, first you've got to go get half of the funds you need. Talk to people privately. Then you make your donor pyramid and you you have so many $10,000 donors, so many $5,000 donors all the way up to the top and you roll it out You say, I've already got half the money, and who wants to commit to doing the rest? And I listened to my friends, and I went back, and I prayed. And I said, Lord, we haven't done it this way yet, and I don't think this feels right. And so I didn't do that. We had some money saved, but I got up before our community, and I shared the vision of the Nehemiah Project. And he said, we've got some funds that we've saved we're going to start with, but I don't have any money. No one's pledged a dime. That was in September. By June of last year, we'd received $261,000 towards the Nehemiah Project. 185000 of it came in one gift from a family that's no longer on our school who heard something about what was going on and the Lord had put on their heart because of what they had received to pay it forward. They called me. And let me take you to two weeks ago. Actually, eight weeks ago. I'm in my garage working on my car and my phone rings. I choose to answer it, and it is a different family who's no longer at our school. They moved out of, our, out of state. They called me and said, David, we love what Front Range has done for us and our child, and we believe in Christian education. We want to seed into the kingdom. And we, we want to we give. So what are you up to? What do you have need for? So I, I, I relayed some of the things that we're doing and some of the need that we had before us, and he said, you know, that's great. Um, I'll call you. We've got some things going on, and uh, I'll get back to you. And that's the last thing you want to hear, right? Because you want to be able to call them, nudge them, poke them. But instead it's a, hey, I'll call you. You don't call me. So what do you do? You pray. You ask your wife, who's a prayer warrior, to pray. Say, so pray for that family. Six weeks go by. And I get a text on a Sunday asking me if I will meet him on a Tuesday afternoon in Englewood. He wants to give me a check. It was Monday night or Monday afternoon. I get another text saying, I can't meet you. Great. I'm, I'm just going to mail it. Right? So he FedExes it overnight to me. And it's Tuesday afternoon before our fall break at about 4.30. There's not a whole lot of people on a school campus at 4.30 the day before fall break. And I'm waiting for FedEx. And I get an envelope. Take it into my office. I open it up. And it is a check for $570,000. You guys don't even know this yet. I got a couple families in here. You're going to get an email. Like this week. So don't tell anybody. In one fell swoop, that family chose to fully fund our financial aid for the year. 
to fully fund a perimeter fencing project for our campus and to give us a significant amount of money to move forward with some key pieces of our Nehemiah project. I didn't ask him for it. I can tell you to this day, I have never sat down, made an appointment, and asked anyone for money for the Nehemiah project, and I'm not doing that today. I haven't. All we've done, all I've done, is try to follow Jesus. All I've done is pursue Him when there's been opposition. When I took over that school in 2012, in the first year, a third or more of the junior-senior high faculty left the school. And I had to let go of the junior-senior high principal, which meant I had to carry both of those roles, head of school and the junior-senior high principal, for two years. It was not fun. Fast forward today, I have about five teachers on my entire campus that were there at the beginning. God has moved people out and on to other visions for greater work in the kingdom that weren't meant to be where we are. He has been faithful in all of it. And you need to hear this. That giving was not the norm for my school. We never, we had in five years, we hadn't hit our donation target. Like, less than 50% of what our donation target was every year just to balance the budget. And every year, our budget ended in the black. Every year. Because somehow, God would make it work in a different way that I didn't see or expect. So when I got that check, I was going to tell my board on that Monday because we had a board meeting I got up on Wednesday morning and I emailed my board because I couldn't wait. And I told him what had happened. The response of my board was to call a meeting at 7.30 in the morning on Friday, a fall break, so for them to gather together to spend a couple hours in praise and prayer and worship and thanksgiving of our God. And that's a board that is a different board than when I started. God's moved people out and moved people in. And I can tell you what I've asked my board to do right now is to take our plans and like Hezekiah to lay them before the Lord and say, okay, what now? Because simply because we have been given the funds and the affluence, it doesn't mean we're supposed to move forward with the plans that we've been envisioning. I want to say, God, what next? What now? You tell me. What do we do with this? And I'm praying it's not hard. I'm praying he doesn't say, give it away. Please don't say that, Lord. But I'll tell you this, if he does, we'll be obedient to it. We'll be obedient to it. And so I... This is a testimony, and I hope an encouragement to you. That God will be faithful to fulfill the vision to which he's called you. He will. He has to be, because it's for his glory. He will be glorified. 
He will be glorified and he will be lifted up and he will be faithful to it. He has to be. It's who he is. All we are called to do is to strive after nothing other than his presence. Desire that over all, over everything. And if you do, his promise will be fulfilled. God's work done in his way is never without his provision. Amen. God be the glory. Will you guys stand? We're going to close, and I'm going to just have David pray. And, uh, and Let me just say, as, as you hear a testimony like this, there may be things that you're going through. First of all, what a testimony does, it reveals an aspect of who God is. And the word testimony in the Hebrew actually means to repeat or to do it again. And so what we realize is, and what we understand in the testimony is that God wants to move in this area. It's crazy. When he, when he told me the first part of this, uh, he told me this back in like sometime last year about the $260,000 that came in. And I remember listening to it and I was just like, Lord, do that again. And, and in May, you guys know the story, we had, we had two checks for $25,000 come in, and then right behind that, two checks for $125,000 each come in. Just bam, 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 bam. We had $300,000 come in, which was just above what, what came in for you. And it was like, and it was that, Lord, just do it again. We can stand on those promises and actually prophesy what God already wants to do. And I believe here we're seeing it again. And I'm like, Lord... Do it again. Do it in this church. Do it in our lives. Do it in in every area. But it's as we set our eyes upon him, as we set our hearts upon him, as we set our gaze upon him, and that we don't, we don't have our, we're not based on, it's not sight that we look at. It's actually faith that we rest our eyes on him and not on the things that we see in the natural. We actually are to look into the supernatural. There's a greater place that we can take hold of from the supernatural than what we see in the natural. So, Dave, will you just, will you just pray a blessing over us? And, and let me say this too, is if, if you've never received Christ, there's nothing more important than that. You can't actually look to him if you don't know him you don't know who he is. I want to ask you, uh, sometimes I have people raise their hands. I'm just going to ask you to come forward, come down, talk to me, talk to David. Um, we'll have some of the prayer teams up here. Uh, you can talk to one of the people on the prayer team, but, but don't leave this place without committing your life to Jesus or recommitting your life. If this is the time. It's time to look to Jesus. David, will you lead us in, in prayer? Yeah, I, there's a difference between saying grace and praying, right? seven years I wasn't asking for God's blessing upon the work I was doing seven years I was asking him to guide the work I was doing encourage you to that's where our hearts need to be what an honor let me pray for you guys Father thank you for these people that have come here today seeking your heart Father I ask that you would meet them Father that they would have an encounter with you that is unlike anything they've ever known. That you would show yourself real to them, that they would feel your presence, that their homes would be filled with your Holy Spirit. That they would have an encounter with you that they cannot deny. 
Lord, I pray that even now you would rekindle visions inside of them. That which you have called them to in this life, that it would become real and vibrant. Father, that that seed of faith would grow. Father, I ask that you would overwhelm them with a desire to know you better. That 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 desire would grow in them stronger than anything else in their lives. That the pursuit of you would supersede everything. That it would be overwhelming. That it would overtake them. That it would blot out anything else in their lives that might distract them or pull them away. Father, lastly, I ask that your word would come alive. That as they read your scriptures, as they see those words, that it would speak to them anew in ways they've never seen or experienced before. Move even now, Lord. Move even now. Holy Spirit, have your way. In Jesus' powerful name, amen. Amen. God bless you.